Welcome to the Sub Club Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing app businesses. We sit down with the entrepreneurs, investors, and builders behind the most successful apps in the world to learn from their successes and failures. Subclub is brought to you by RevenueCat. Thousands of the world's best apps trust RevenueCat to power in-app purchases, manage customers, and grow revenue across iOS, Android, and the web. You can learn more at RevenueCat.com. Let's get into the show. Hello, I'm your host, David Barnard, and with me today, RevenueCat CEO, Jacob Eiding. Our guest today is Lexi Sidhu, Head of Insights at Data AI. Lexi has over 12 years of experience in analyzing complex data and delivering action-oriented insights across the private and public sectors. On the podcast, we talk with Lexi about Data AI's State of Mobile Report, the countries subscription apps should focus on for growth, and why things still look bright for apps despite a decline in overall spend. Hey, Lexi, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Very happy to be here. And Jacob, nice to get to talk to you today. This is two data podcasts in a row, David, that we're going to have. I'm very excited. We're interjecting a uh, an episode with Brennan Manning will oh, be the okay. last episode. So two of the Jacob episodes with data in a row. It's got me very excited. So <laughs> do you love talking two. numbers? So Lexi, the, the first thing I wanted to talk about is that for you know a considerable part of the time I've been working in mobile, 15 years, DataI's reports have been kind of the reports in mobile. And so you know, you've been at DataI over seven years now. And, you know, through the app any days, and, and hopefully I won't call it app any <laughs> it's hard. on the podcast. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about kind of the history behind the report and, you know, how it's gone over the years. Yeah, it's it's been a really fun ride. So this is officially actually our 10th year of publishing the report. We started in 2013. Um, And back then it was called the retrospective. So it would publish at the same time, but it was a retrospective on the year prior, uh, which is essentially we've kept that essence, but uh, some elements of forward looking uh, pieces. And then we're trying to make sure it's more clear. Yes, it's publishing um, in 2023. For instance, the data is the most recent data, which is 2022. It started off as a very small um, more of like a top apps, how's iOS and Google Play? I feel like that was a lot of the questions back back in the day. You'd get a lot of iOS versus Google Play. You know, how are the devices looking? What's spend? What's downloads? Downloads being the big one. Um, and apps and games, games being a first mover. And then as time moved on, it really evolved into a much larger, richer asset. And now it's it's quite hefty. <laughs> I think it's hard to read in one sitting, actually. I think you kind of have to bookmark and come back. And um, we've got a lot of data in there. And we started to make it interactive. So now you can get all sorts of uh, country permutations because our team is a team of analysts. We love data. So we also want to make sure, you know, okay, so if your target market is Turkey, you don't always default to the U.S. view. You know, you can get the data that's specific to Turkey. So it's been really fun. And every year we sort of add on and tweak and it's it's been a fun experience. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, David echoed it. It's kind of been a mainstay since, you know, 2013 was early days App Store still. But uh, when I start, when I was starting Revenue Cat, it was also a very valuable source of like trying to convince 
investors and whatnot that like yeah, apps are kind of a thing. I have like a folder of every year's report like stored because there's also like interesting things to see, like what's how is it changing year over year and things like this. So um yeah, it's been a just a super valuable resource. Oh, I love to hear that. So great. <laughs> I hope everyone has a folder of state of mobile on their computer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really, it really has been such a great resource. And then another cool thing I've been doing is is breaking out some of the data throughout the year into kind of smaller reports. So, you, so a specific interest to our audience, and we'll include this in the show notes, is that you do now also do a subscription specific report. So, what, what? How many different? I mean, you might not know off the top of your head, but y'all have four or five different reports throughout the year that you do now. This is kind of the big one, right? You do more kind of just data dumps. Uh, in these other reports? Yeah, we all, we have a ton of different reports. Um, usually they're following a specific sector. So State of Mobile is the big one that covers, you know, the macro trends and kind of the holistic view. We also have, um, we always do probably two, three, sometimes four gaming reports that are specific to gaming. Uh, we usually also do some form of a half year check-in point. And then every quarter we have it's uh, more of a blog with the report, but uh, it's more of this like status check on how the quarter's going. Um, so we do that every quarter as well as have sort of a ranking, a ranking data dump. Yeah, great. That's mm. a great way of putting it that we sort of give for, okay, here are the movers for all these different geos. Um, and so people can get kind of that snapshot. And that's kind of nice because at the end of the year, um, you know, with an annual report that some of the data gets a bit massaged. So you see like, okay, yeah, this one big app like Wordle, for instance, was huge, but you don't isolate that it was like huge in Q1 and had some staying power in Q2. And then, um, you know, it was still popular, but it lost some fizzle in Q3 and 4. Um, whereas you might just see it looks like it was big all year. So the quarterly updates are good just for those quick, like what's trending, what where's the demand, any major product updates or shifts in monetization strategy, you might see that appear with like a burst in revenue for certain players. So those are good for just those quick movements of what's kind of keeping your finger on the pulse. Yeah, I mean, I know it's, I think it's just a sign of the maturation of this industry in general that we now have like mid-year updates, but I, <laughs> I can say it's been helpful for us as yeah. we've been kind of looking at our numbers and trying to understand like, you know, obviously this year has been very interesting from a macroeconomics perspective. Um, and those like mid-year check-ins, I think it would have been, a disservice if we hadn't been had those and we had to wait to the end of the year to go like oh there is like a real macro something happening in apps right now uh because we were able to see kind of by mid-year with these like mid-year check-in reports that oh okay something is shifting like things are things are kind of deflating a little bit or i I mean say deflating but things are things are different 2022 is different than 2021 and we didn't have to wait until january 2023 to know that right which i think was like a big service to our industry yeah, one of the things you mentioned is, is how much the reports have evolved over the years. And, and that is actually something I did want to hit on is what has been kind of driving that evolution. And then if our listeners have, you know, feedback or directions they want to see the report go or data points that they're interested in, like, what's that kind of feedback and iteration process been like? Uh, and, and I'm actually selfishly curious, too. So we're thinking about what's like, report number two for revenue cat. And so we're currently collecting feedback and thinking about all these things ourselves as well. Yeah. I think the big thing, um, a lot of the changes are sort of, I would say kind of organic. So our team, you know, of analysts, we're sort of following the industry every day. And 
a lot of it is sort of shifting based on each year as we've been, what we've been analyzing and how things have changed. I think you mentioned there's that maturation of the industry, Jacob. And I think that that's super true. I think we've also kind of matured our analysis and our understanding throughout the years to kind of try to follow more of that deep dive. And I think the the different sectors depend on the year. That's where you can kind of see things mm. get interesting, where we'll add or subtract, where uh, gaming is a bit of a mainstay, uh, as it always is. So is social. Those are always sort of ones we want to make sure we talk to. Um, video streaming, you know, we've heard for a few years that streaming wars are heating up and it's still really true. Like that space is still really dynamic and highly competitive in the U.S. specifically. And then things like sports, right? This year, we would be remiss not to mention sports as a standout because the World Cup was this year. We had uh, Beijing Olympics earlier on. We also sort of still have some of that pent-up demand that you kind of see happen from COVID where there was a little bit of that live content, you know, question, you know, they tried to have it in person, wasn't as, you know, prominent. So it would be, it's one of those things where we sort of evolve based on kind of where the consumer behavior is too. So this year we gave a whole section to sports where we haven't in the past. Part of the questions as well. So people um, in webinars, we do a lot of webinars and that's where you'll get a lot of really good questions from folks and what they are asking about. For instance, we've gotten questions about how many app releases happened in 2022 and what is the Mm. total number of live apps. And we actually didn't include that in this year's report. We included it in last year's, uh, but we didn't think it was quite as prominent this year, because we were also trying to keep the page count down, but <laughs> we ended up hitting 93 pages still. And um, and that's something that for the webinar, we'll probably include. So that, that's been a really helpful feedback loop. Uh, this year, we also, um, we do have an, uh, an email that people can email. It's som2023 at data.ai. And we actually offered in the report, like a little promotion. If someone wants to email in and get kind of a custom list of keywords, we offered that out. Um, as a freebie for like the first 25. Uh, But that email, we can still collect thoughts on. And a lot of times people will respond to emails with feedback on what they want to see. Typically over the years, a lot of it has been also market-based. So people want more geos included, or Mm. um, for instance, following a bit of that, where the emerging markets might be. So Latin America was a big focus, Southeast Asia last year and the year before, and the year before that was also a big focus. Um, we've had a lot of questions around the Middle East as well. There's been some high growth kind of bubbling up there. So uh, some of it also in terms of expansion is around where we're getting questions a lot from, from, from folks in the industry, from journalists. Um, and so we'll try to include those if we can. Yeah, that's that's a lot. So uh, what I hear you saying <laughs> is uh, email and attend webinars and you'll get your feedback. Uh, <laughs> Personal feedback. <laughs> Don't worry about page count. I was going to say, like, who's complaining about 90 pages? It should be 180. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, you could just, you could just, you know, as long as it's got a table of contents, it's fine, you know, and, a, and an executive <laughs> summary and you're good. The next thing I wanted to dive into is, is data collection. Um, and I know some of this is part proprietary, so you can't speak to like all the ways uh, data AI collects data. Uh, but I'd love to get just kind of an overview of where these metrics come from. I think, you know, a lot of people read the report and I'm actually not even fully aware of all the different ways this data comes together. So I'm curious uh, how much you can tell us about where all the data comes from. Yeah, um, all of the data in the report is based on our product. So we have 
um, all of our normal kind of product data that we're selling on the market. Um, and a lot of this is is derived from multiple inputs and ultimately um, our name chain uh, that happened last year kind of hints to it, but we use AI to take all this input and then kind of use that to project market estimates. So that's all of our data in this report. They're all estimates um, and it's generally derived in that way. And then we have uh, samples and panels essentially to help sort of round out some of that and feed into some of our models, but it's largely model driven. Yeah. So that that's the main part of it. Uh, in the report, we do have some extra data where we're doing more custom market sizing. So that's where the team of analysts are, are sort of taking our data, AI data, um, looking at devices and, and sort of uh, historical trends, and then also layering in some third-party data to market size for areas that we don't have as much view into. Um, an example of that is third-party Android stores in China is a very historically hard place to get a, a window into. Yeah. And we do have data on usage of devices there. So we have a window into usage patterns in the device space and how many people you know, how much time is being spent and where they're spending that and that sort of a thing. And so that data helped inform how we market size for downloads and spend. Gotcha. So that's an example, a little bit of a custom approach, but everything else in the report is sort of straight out of out of our product. You'd be able to kind of re- reproduce it on your own if you subscribe to the whole thing <laughs> or most of it. We do some fancy stuff. Yeah, I was going to say, so I mean, the 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 crux of it is, you, you, I mean, you don't have the download data for every single app and the revenue data for every single app. And so when you say data, when you say models, you have some subset of that, I imagine. And then the models help you interpolate and kind of like draw the full picture um, is my understanding from what you just said. Yeah, so we have we have a very sophisticated um, data science team, very, uh, they're very awesome. I would encourage you guys to chat with them if you can too. They're wonderful. Um, and they've helped to create these really robust models that um, generate very accurate estimates. So there's um, multiple inputs. So, um, you know, looking at different, how things rank, um, pulling in all sorts of inputs that help us model out estimates on on apps and games. So we are very clear that they are just estimates, but we're quite proud of our accuracy there and that, it is a really good yeah. reflection of what's happening. And, and I'll speak as a customer that like, sometimes we'll be able to compare because, you know, sometimes we do know exactly what the revenue is. So <laughs> we, can, we can look and I'll say it's never exactly right, but like it's never way wrong, right? So um, I, I found that to be true using your product for a long time now is that, you know, you're never going to be orders of magnitude off, um, which is usually what you want, right? You want to have like a rough idea. And that's when you're look, trying to pull an individual app's data, which then like, when you feed into and like this report mostly relies on aggregates, right? And so on the aggregate, you're going to end up with a very reliable result. It's kind of the interesting thing is statistics, right? Like you don't have to be accurate on any one result, but when you aggregate that, you end up with a fairly accurate result, which is kind of cool, right? So David, does that sufficiently clarify? I, I think I have a better understanding now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And that, that was one of the things I was going to get at too. And, and I put this quote in the, in the talking point docs we're all looking at is that all models are wrong, but some are useful. And so we know data AI, data is not perfect. You know, you don't have absolute visibility to every app on the app store, but just because it's not perfect doesn't mean it's not super useful. And uh, Jacob, I think you, you said that really well, is that especially in aggregate, you know, any one app is unlikely to be orders of magnitude off. But once you aggregate it all, even the ones that aren't super accurate kind of gets normalized across the entire data set where this is, really good data to understand what's going on in the industry. And that's why 
I've been reading the report pretty much every year for a decade and why so many people rely on the data to, to help inform and make decisions and whatnot. The last thing I wanted to touch on here is that I was curious if ATT impacted any of the data collection. I did notice, and I, I've, in the past, I've never dug as deep into like methodology and whatnot, but I did notice that there were a lot of like Android only, or you know, there was a little kind of de-emphasizing of, of iOS. I was wondering if, if uh, that was ATT or some other thing that, that wasn't mentioned directly. Yeah, we actually, um, it, it isn't due to ATT. We've yeah. actually used um, Android phone only for, for specifically like time spent in sessions and that sort of data. Uh, historically, uh, we've always used that. We use iPhone data for monthly active users. So understanding how many people are using in a given time period, um, same for weekly, daily active users. Uh, but for time spent, we've always used Android phone. Um, and part of that is just um, how robust our data is there. Mm-hmm. So we have more countries and we have a lot more availability. So it's it's a lot easier for us to compare. Um, we use Android phone publicly as well as a proxy for the overall market. Um, and when we look at behavior across um, some of the iPhone versus Android phone, it it's all very directionally similar. So, mm-hmm. um, and part of that is, you know, we do have iPhone data available for people who, who buy and that's part of that free report. You know, you give some of what you've got, you can't give it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't right. want people yeah, we're, to we're not. Market, we're marketers here at the end of the day. Am I right? Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm glad I asked then because I was making assumptions uh, based on some of that. And then on the the methodology, I, I actually read through the entire PDF. You have a whole separate. This, whole, this is kind of cool. Like I, I never, I've never seen this before. We have a whole separate PDF with all the footnotes, caveats, and things like that, which I think is really great. Yeah, and I, and Jacob and I might be the first people in history to read the whole thing, or maybe it was just me. But the the one thing that stood out for to me was that a single person may be active on multiple multiple devices in any time period and therefore counted as one user per device in the total active user. So if I'm using Twitter on my iPhone and using Twitter on my iPad and using Twitter on my Mac, although you probably aren't counting Mac directly, but I might show up multiple times. So you're, sometimes your user numbers might be slightly inflated due to those kind of multiple device usage which I thought was really interesting and, and kind of a, a good caveat to kind of understand when looking at the data. Um, but were there any other kind of methodology things that you wanted to touch on before we move on to the actual data? No, I mean, that's a, that's an interesting one. I First of all, I'm impressed you guys read the uh, report methodology. <laughs> it's like hyperlinked at the end of the report and we usually send it if we get questions. Um, so kudos to you guys. Um, we actually, in terms of the active users, one thing that's important is in the report, we actually only report on Android phone um, and iPhone active users. So iPad and tablet would not come into that. So there oh, wouldn't okay. be that level of count du- or double counting in a sense. Uh, but I think it does speak to some the how we get our data and like what we're how we kind of use a model and things like that um we per device is actually kind of nice because it's we're not using you know your people's personal data we don't know that it's your you know we just know that there's devices and that there's activity but we don't know it's you you know you might have eight eight ipads at home you know we don't know that that you're using all eight Mm -hmm. so i think that's good (laughs) in the in the age of privacy we know you know it's good to know that it's just on a per device basis Great. And any other any other things that stand out to you about methodology or some of the data? Um, the only thing I would probably say is that this year in the report, we've used um, our new AppIQ product. So that was brand new. We didn't get to use that in previous years. We had GameIQ included in last year's report. 
So there are some caveats around that. So that's dependent on how many apps are categorized. So there could be, for instance, in future years, as we categorize more and more apps um, and historical apps as well, that there could be, you know, small shifts in relative sizing uh, because you're getting more of that categorization. But on the whole, those should be quite, you know, long tail and not as impactful. But that would be the only caveat. And so there are some, you know, some changes and we do kind of our categorization is still growing. So for instance, we just recently added QSR apps. Whereas if you looked at our food and drink report from last year, there was no specific QSR app category. It was, which would be quick service restaurant. Thank you. I was Googling it. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Some industry jargon. It would be called uh, food. I think it was food carry out and delivery. So we would treat McDonald's the same as like Uber Eats. And we separated that. So in the report, we have better, you know, delineation there. Um, But that is one thing to note that that can change. So we might add in a new category um, next year. And for instance, we added in things to track more of um, charging stations and and gas kind of apps were a big thing this this past year with gas prices (laughs) and Mm. the interest in e-vehicles. So it is evolving. It will continue to change. All right, so let's dive into the actual data. And I, I think one of the most interesting things and kind of the, the headline of this year's report is that for the first time ever, spend was down, which is really quite historic. I mean, the app industry has been booming and just nonstop growth since you know the iPhone was introduced in 2000, or the iPhone app store was introduced in 2008. So tell us about this marquee landmark year. Yeah, it was, I guess, not surprising. Um, We all know that at some point growth will slow at least, but this year we were a little bit surprised to see that it did on the whole dip. So it was down about 2% year on year to 167 billion, um, inclusive of third-party Android stores in China. Um, And the biggest factor here was gaming. So we actually have a chart in the report that shows some of the um, discretionary spending. So we used data from the OECD And we sort of layered that in against um, an index of our spending data for games and apps separately. And you can kind of see the behavior patterns mirror very closely where as discretionary or disposable income and discretionary spending available money has kind of declined. The spending gamings has also followed that curve and declined, whereas for non-gaming apps, it has done the opposite, whereas disposable income has kind of declined, non-gaming spend has actually been resilient and and, in many cases up and to the right. Uh, So this year, the biggest impact was games. Um, Games were down 5% year on year to 110 billion. Uh, They still represent, you know, 66% of all spend in the app stores. But we did see that that was the biggest impact. Whereas for non-games, we actually saw growth year on year uh, to about 58 billion, I believe. It was up 6%. So we are still seeing that growth that is a little bit softened from previous years. But the big takeaway for us is that your discretionary spending in games, that's where you're kind of feeling that impact. It's where, okay, maybe I won't buy that, you know, in-game hat for my avatar, or I won't do an extra kind of boost to get the next level. Whereas for non-gaming, given how much it is driven by subscriptions, we are seeing more staying power there. So part of that is, the, re- the subscription model, you pay once a month or once a year, for instance. Um, and then also where the spend is going. So uh, video streaming, 
dating and short video are some of the key areas. And it's clear that people are still spending on entertainment and I guess love (laughs) as well Mm -hmm. for dating. So that's a big finding for us. And there's, I mean, there's been some phenomenal growth in the, in TikTok, for instance, and how much spend is happening for kind of that tipping model, which is a whole new kind of area I'm sure we can discuss. But uh, for us, it looks more like people are sort of doing, they're tightening their purse strings, they're spending a little bit less on sort of some of the fun stuff um, ad hoc, those kind of microtransactions, but then not compromising on entertainment and especially things like uh, streaming subscriptions and things where you are treating it a bit more like your cable bill in a sense. Yeah. Um, so kind of keeping that going. <laughs> yeah, it's much easier to kind of like pull like um, gaming purchases tend to be very impulsive and, you know, it's much easier to reverse that versus like, as you're saying, some of these subscriptions are a little bit more commitment based and things like that. What I find interesting is thinking about the comparable for 2022 versus 2021, um, right? Because it's six, well, non-game 6% on 2021. So you kind of have to go back and look at, well, what was 2021 like? And you actually have in the report this great graph where you kind of plot by country 2020, 2021, 2022, which is nice because you can compare 2020 and 2021. You can see like what a crazy jump that was in 2020 to 21. Even considering the pandemic was going on for two, you know, three quarters of that year, um, 2021 continued to be really aggressive in terms of app game spend or, or um, app spend and just total app store spend. Um, and so it's kind of not like if you plot out the like, compounded year over year from 2019 to now it's probably not too bad still um it <laughs> seems like we're kind of in a regression to the mean it's kind of surprising that game or that apps you know that they didn't they didn't they, they didn't shrink that it doesn't surprise me at all that stuff kind of is is, is returning as consumer behaviors kind of return to a different you know um right into like potentially an economic recession so we'll see what that does to the data right but yeah, it's like that that lapping lapping those, and we've kind of dealt with this, and I've dealt with this in terms of how we manage our business, right? Because you know, Revenue Cat came up in the pre pandemic, and then into the pandemic era, where it was like, oh my god, it's up and to the right. Here we go, everybody. And then it's like, well, okay, that the you know, world changing to pandemic world doesn't last forever, right? And I think that's kind of my opinion. Is feels like it's a lot of what we're seeing in this report as well. Yeah, I, they're spot on. It was interesting too that um, even though spend went down, that downloads were up and daily time per user was also up. And so it really signals that it, it wasn't about, you know, we're, we're not yet at peak mobile. Like people are still increasingly using the devices, increasingly downloading apps, but the slowdown was in spend. And that's very obviously correlated to this, to inflation and financial pressure. So so to me, it was like a really interesting sign that people are still increasing usage and still finding more and more use in these mobile devices. And that spend going down is not any indication that that itself is is, is starting to slow. Um, So the next interesting thing I did want to dive into is the top countries for app spend and in the in the report, you do this great thing where the top three countries are in its own little chart because the top three countries just so far and away um, make up the bulk of the revenue. And then the next um, 17 are in a whole separate chart because you wouldn't even be able to see fluctuations in the numbers because they're, they're, the scale is so much smaller. 
Um, and so the top three countries being China, the U.S., and Japan. So yeah, any any thoughts on just how concentrated the app spend is? So basically, that is China alone is 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 massive, and and there's a huge spend for iOS. iOS alone is a huge part of it, but the device gate, uh, base for third party Android is where you'll see it's a lot lower spend per device. It behaves a lot more like Android on the whole outside of China um, for like how Google Play is behaving, has behaved over the years. But uh, the device space is so big that that spend per person um, and, uh, and those sort of, I think we had years ago talked about like a tale of two cities kind of a thing where you've got, um, you know, Beijing, Shanghai, uh, they're behaving more sort of like first movers. And then some of these other as as parts of China kind of go into that digital transformation or, you know, moving out of rural um, and more into cities and things like that, where they're seeing that on the whole, um, that's where you get a lot of that. So it's about a, a quarter of all spend is in that third party Android space, actually, for what we see on the whole. Um, but then the U.S. would be the biggest market if you look at just iOS and Google Play. There is a de- definite amount of concentration among those top two. They're very big. But what's been very promising to see is the growth across the spectrum. And I think there's been some really strong pockets of growth. Um, we see markets like Canada and Australia always kind of punch above their weight in terms of population size. Yeah. We see um, Latin America, uh, Brazil and Mexico have seen very strong growth in consumer spend through the app stores themselves. Um, and they were actually some of the countries that bucked some trends in gaming as well, uh, where we actually saw growth in those markets for spend versus many other markets we saw decline. It is in- interesting to note, China, we did see on iOS an increase in gaming spend, which was different to mm. what we saw in other major markets. Uh, but China as a market was behaving a bit different um, and sometimes does behave different to other markets. So I do think ultimately it's po- very it's a very positive story. Um, We're seeing some upward movement at LATAM, Southeast Asia, Middle East as well. Um, So I think that we're going to see a bit more of that possibly thin out. But at the same time, the U.S. in certain sectors can be half of all spend, like in dating, for instance, Um, (laughs) where there's very U.S. centric. (laughs) Yeah, now I'm now I'm now I'm wanting to go run this data across just like GDP of these countries, like broadly Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. see like because I think what you're saying is there's there's we have our entrenched big ones, but then a lot of these are probably developing and they're not developing in terms of their own GDP growth, but normalized to how, what percentage of their GDP is going into app spend would be really interesting to see. Cause my theory would be, there's a lot of countries here that are to use that digital transformation <laughs> word again, right? Like they're getting used to spending money on the app store. Um, and, and that's potentially where a lot of growth, you know, as, as these biggest, like more developed markets m- maybe start to saturate or like regress to, you know, Downloads are up 6% a year. Spend will probably be up 6% a year. And you'll kind of get to this point where it's kind of all, it's all out. Like that might not be the case for countries where spend is becoming more normalized. Uh, and that's really, it's really interesting too. the, 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 just like the sheer size of, you know, the Chinese market versus the U S market and like how much, you know, they're, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but you know, over a billion, so three or four times bigger than the United States, but only like 1.2 times maybe the t- amount of spend. So like even in China, yeah. so you think about that like spend curve and their GDP growing, like there's a lot of headroom. If if they were only just to get to the like GDP percentage of the United States on their spend, which I think is really promising for the industry as a whole. Like we have a lot of even if like maybe the the most massive on the table gains are starting to get you know. Get, get get gotten out uh if that's a word 
that there's still gains within, you know, within that um, developing tale. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's when you start to cut it by country and categories, that's mm. where you start to see these real pockets where, for instance, the U S um, is <laughs> the biggest last year was uh, the biggest contributor for spend in TikTok. And that would be those like microtransactions, like those, I'm going to get, you know, coins and give you the streamer a tip essentially, or a purchase a sticker or a coin in, in app. And previously that was China, China, it, through Duin was like the leader and they started spending in that way in 2020 and through 2021 and the U S kind of caught up in 2022. And then it was, I think about a third of all spend in TikTok in 2021, uh, sorry, 2021 rather 2022. I'm sorry. I'm getting confused now. Too much data. Uh, 2022, the, about a third of that spend in TikTok came from the U S and I think that that was, Surprising to a lot of people, too, because we tend to see more mobile first behaviors, especially like mobile commerce in China being much more advanced um, than it ever was in, in the U.S. And now that this is it's becoming much more mainstream and we're also seeing tapping into other pockets of demographics. So the sort of older base of users also growing significantly in what apps they're using it's not all Gen Z, right? Mm. So I think there's there's a lot of ways you can cut it to see there's some really promising areas of growth. Um, as you mentioned, even if there is some softening happening, there's still some really strong sectors. Yeah, one of the questions I get asked a lot by developers is, you know, should I localize my app? What countries should I localize them in? What prices, you know, what prices should I, how should I price my app around the world? And questions like that. And I think this data does a pretty good job of hinting at, where to focus, right? And so if you can um, build an audience in China, there's a lot of opportunity there. There's a lot of spend. And and it, it's interesting because it wasn't broken down in the report for you to share that. You, you said it was uh, only a third of spend is actually on the third-party Android stores, right? And so that even shows there's opportunity on, on Google Play and iOS, which I think, you know, I personally have assumed that so much of the spend is on third-party stores, and I don't want to hassle with third-party stores, but no, there's actually a ton of opportunity in the first-party stores as well. Yeah, absolutely. It was about a quarter of spend in China on third-party. Oh, a quarter. There you go. Even better. A lot more, <laughs> a lot more than anywhere else, right? But still not yeah. the not the majority, which is interesting. And then another thing you broke down for us, it's not in the report, and I'll figure out a way to share this. Maybe we can share it. We have a, a private uh, subclub community, chat.subclub.com, if you want to join. And I'll share this uh, that Lexi shared with us. But when you break it down by non-game spend, which I think a lot most of our audience is non-game, things do move a little. So like UK came up in non-game spend versus where they were overall. The US was 16% more non-game spend than game spend. Was I reading that data correctly? And, and any other it's things you want to point growth. out? Growth. Okay. Yeah. So it was, um, you know, consumer spend in non-games uh, grew 16% year on year in, in the US. US. So if we plotted that same chart in the report and we had a games and a non-games version compared to the overall, there might be a very different story for many markets Yeah. Um, where you actually see some very strong growth for most of non-gaming across the last two years. Uh, but yeah, you're spot on. The UK, Germany, Canada, Australia all sort of moved up <laughs> in their ranking of spend. Um, Canada and Australia are markets that tend to over-index for non-game spend. Um, and both of them saw between 15 and 20% growth in that year-on-year. -year. 
South Korea is a very gaming heavy market. So it kind of fell from its number four to number eight, if you were to plot it by just non-game, but still saw 20% growth in non-game spend. It's crazy. Some other markets that show up, we see um, Mexico uh, kind of bumped up in the rankings a little bit where it was 26% growth in non-game spend and they ranked sort of 16. That's a lot. 26%. (laughs) Confound that a couple of years, right? Like that'll be huge. Very big. Yeah. And and then Norway and Sweden, some of the the Scandinavian countries um, pop up as 19 and 20, where very small relative size of population, but big spend. And Norway, for instance, uh, non-gaming spend grew 22% year on year. So there's some really strong pockets of promising growth as well. And then on the whole, you do, you do still see things like um, Taiwan, um, you know, France and Brazil all sort of hanging out in a similar spot. But Brazil was also super interesting. It was sort of the 10th largest for non-game, so about one spot up from overall. And non-game spend grew 30% year on year, which is... Wow. Which is big. <laughs> yeah, we we called it a slow year, but it you know, <laughs> like yeah. I guess we've been spoiled in the like subscription transition, right? Like we've had some insane numbers, so those are still really good, right? In a, in a macro that feels a little bit deflated, um, you realize there's still a lot of like transition and growth going on, um, which is, I mean, for developers, especially our our listeners, like maybe they're like, oh, subscriptions are over. Or whatever, no, like not, not <laughs> true, right? This is where the this is where the good golden age of uh, app store growth is right now, right? It's in these twenty, thirty uh, percent growing markets. Yeah, even the U.S., yeah. you know, number two market grew sixteen percent year over year in non game spend. That's actually now that you explain it to me, and I can see these numbers here on the on our on our doc. That's exciting. Um, you know, even though the headline of the report is, and we already discussed that you know, spend is down, but 16% year over year growth in non-game spend, even in the US, uh, is is great. And I think too many apps are overly US-centric. I'm super overly US-centric. A lot of our kind of reporting and the way we look at things is very US-centric, but just goes to show there really are a lot, there is a lot of opportunity in these other countries. And it's something that I think, you know, developers, as they saturate the US market, will have more and more opportunities in the coming years to grow in these other markets. And then being able to see this data and see where it's growing and see where the top spend is, is super helpful. So, uh, you know, that that's a reason alone for listeners to go download this report and then uh, follow up in the subclub community with this app specific uh, spend. I also wanted to touch on the top categories by spend. And I found, I found this chart especially interesting because you not only show the top categories by spend, um, and downloads and time spent, but we'll focus on spend. Um, but then you show the number one app in each of those categories. And so, you know, entertainment was the top category by spend, then social media, and it was entertainment OTT was first, and then uh, entertainment short videos, entertainment video sharing. But anyways, go look at the chart. We're not going to read out charts on the podcast. <laughs> but if you go look at each of these categories in the number one apps, so many of the number one apps are subscription apps. Um, and it's just the, the trend we have seen over the last you know five years since Apple opened up subscriptions to more and more apps is that it's just becoming more and more a part of the broader app economy and that they're topping the charts for spend. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I think one of the big things we've noticed this past year is people using their mobile phone um, and the app stores as a way to kind of manage their subscriptions and manage kind of 
that portal where you, <laughs> instead of being like, what was my password and where did I sign up and what card did I put that on? And it's like using it on in that one space is actually super handy. And we've seen a lot of migration of sort of, yeah, you're going to obviously with OTT and video streaming, you'll watch Disney Plus on probably multiple devices, your iPad, your computer, your TV, but you'll probably sign up and pay for it increasingly on your phone or through the app stores because it's just easier. You know, you trust it, your details mm-hmm. are there. Um, and I think that's one of the underpinning sort of veins to this is that mobile is sort of taking over that share of wallet, if you will. Like you're sort of migrating mm. some of these things to your phone. Um, and then there's, you know, there's areas like Google One. I think, you know, we don't often talk a lot about like utility apps and productivity. I don't even know what Google, what is, what is Google One? <laughs> <laughs> it's basically a file management app, but it you basically subscribe for a storage space. Okay. And Google One was the number one. Um, it's usually in the top 10 for consumer spend and it was the biggest for the sector. And it's people just bumping up their storage for Gmail, On- Drive photos. Yeah, man. And that's huge. People are finding, you know, they're using their phone as like that kind of life admin tool. And so they're accessing all of their storage devices and saving things and it's your camera. And so those types of subscriptions are really powerful. And we're seeing that people aren't abandoning that. If anything, we're seeing way more growth happening where people are choosing, you know, this is just easier. And that's kind of to mobile's core is that it, it typically is that easier Mm-hmm. experience for people across the board. So it's been really exciting to see. And then things like photo and video editing, like I don't believe 10 years ago, we would have believed people would have migrated crazy, right? editing yeah. their photos off of desktop and, you know, doing it in an app um, first and it being so simple. <laughs> and, pa- and paying so, for it, right? Like, I think that's yeah. maybe, that's maybe the, I mean, we would always buy, you'd have to buy Photoshop, right? Um, back in the day. And we've had Photo Room um, CO on here before. It's an app that does this, but like there's there's many that are unbundling some of these like higher pro tools. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess in some ways it's like photos are very precious to people and the phone is a very natural place to, to capture photos. But um, but yeah, and, and we, we've seen too, I'm sure this maybe was late in the year to show up in the report is like one of these really spiky things, but all of the spend that's going into like AI avatar generation and stuff like this, like $30 a pop to generate AI avatars. We'll see if that trend like continues through uh, 2023. Cause it's kind of in that same vein, right. Um, of people spending on, you know, photos and vanity and things like that. Um, but, but yeah, you look down this list and it's, and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, uh, well, one, it makes you feel good about kind of what, like you were saying, what the phone is to people, right? Like it's it's storage and it's entertainment and it's social, it's dating, uh, and there are they're you know they're 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 doing it all through the phone, which 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 is, and I couldn't help but think like in the we here in the Chinese market and the mega apps, right? Like you order food, like you do everything on the phone, right? Which I don't the U.S. especially hasn't really developed there yet in terms of like in day-to-day life, I think. But in terms of your digital life, maybe we're closer, right? Like almost everything you you buy for your digital life, you're doing through the phone and through app stores, which I think is is kind of a difference, right? Than where we maybe we were three, four years ago. Yeah. I think we've kind of gotten to a place where it's become very native behavior and not just through the app store spend, but even like mobile commerce where you know, mm. that would be like your Uber rides or your food delivery. And it's those habitual things that we do. I think that 
reinforce our habits. And we've seen food delivery has not gone away at all. Yes, people are super excited to go to restaurants and we're seeing upticks and booking of restaurant apps and travel. But we're also still seeing very strong um, continual growth within food and grocery delivery. And like those types of habits where it's something you do every week and it makes your life easier and simpler, um, they benefit, I think, mobile the mobile ecosystem overall. I think the more you sort of continue to do those sort of easier frictionless transactions um, that are personalized. I think that's a big thing too that mobile is offering us in all of these apps is that it feels like it's your, it's almost like if you walked into a store and they had like a section for you, you know, like this is the things you like. And I think people treat it like that. And I think the expectations moving very quickly to those very personalized experiences, which for me says like, a lot of these apps, the more you sort of invest in and sort of making it more personal, probably the better off you're going to be um, in converting that to subscriptions or to in-app purchases or just long-term loyalty, uh, because that's sort of what people are expecting. You know, their phone is that sort of how many times do people <laughs> you see people freak out if they ever lose their Miss phone? Their like phones, it's your yeah. everything. <laughs> I, 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 this is one of the reasons I'm still very excited. I've always had a fascination with mobile. It's been ten plus years now. I loved it because of the form factor because you can hold it in your hand, right? That's like very the visceral. And now we're arriving at where that proximity to the person I think is really developing into a full digital life, right? And we're seeing it. It's taken a decade and it's probably another decade until we're fully there, but it's clear that it's happening. And that's why I think to counter like maybe the doom and gloom narrative at the top line of being like growth is like flattening out. I don't think we're anywhere near the end of the story for what this platform becomes. And so you can see that really clearly with some of the points you've made and and, and when you start to click in. And I think yeah. it's really encouraging too, is like looking at this top list, you know, again, go download the report and look at the top 20 global, global app subgenres in 2022. And you see Peloton, like people, Peloton on my fitness pal, like people are using their mobile devices to, to get fit and be healthier. And you see audible people are listening to books and Duolingo people are learning languages. Like there is a lot of kind of doom and gloom, even more broadly societally around like screen times, evil and bad and phones are bad and, you know, get out in the world. And, and I mean, I think some of that's obviously valid, but when you look at, at, you know, where people are actually spending their money there, there's a lot of these where it's like, they're, they're doing good things for their life. And, and that's well, what I'm number always... three is TikTok though. So like uh, people just <laughs> swiping endlessly. So it's a balance. Though. It's a balance. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I think that's a great place to wrap up. Uh, you know, we could talk about all these numbers for hours and um, you know, 93 page report. We've barely scratched the surface. Well, but that's just an even better reason to go download it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Go download the report. But Lexi, thank you so much for joining us today. And then uh, anything else you want to shout out is, uh, you know, go download the report is, is um, data hiring. Anything else you want to shout out as we wrap up? Yeah. Well, I think there are some roles um, that are being you know, hired. We're a fully remote company and we're quite global. So um, I don't know where your listener base is exactly, but, you know, have a look at the careers page. We definitely have some roles that are open. And um, the other big thing I guess I would call out is we do have a webinar that we will be uh, going through a lot of this data more, in more detail as well, <laughs> which it's so challenging. I think we got through probably four slides of like the 93. <laughs> <laughs> so our webinar um, for the U.S. will be, I believe it's going to be on the 31st of Jan. So um, keep a lookout for that. Head over to data.ai slash insights. We're publishing blog posts about every week, diving deeper 
into um, the limited text space of the report. So we're adding a lot more commentary and discussion on some of these topics. And you can follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn for updates. Those are probably the main ones. We will be doing a LinkedIn Live as well in mid-March with Simon Kemp, um, who is from Data Reportal, um, so does all things digital. So that's another great one to bookmark. Um, we'll be shouting about him all over LinkedIn and Twitter. So <laughs> maybe follow Data AI if, you, if you're if you interested in those timings. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today, Lexi. This was a lot of fun talking through this. Thank you for having me. This is, I feel like we needed like three more hours, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. oh, well, we'll see you again in January 2024, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Put it on your calendar. We got to coordinate this better next time so it comes out uh, right when the uh, report comes out so people can use it as a companion. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for listening. If you have a minute, please leave a review in your favorite podcast player. You can also stop by chat.subclub.com to join our private community.